Teachers are leaders. And we're here to emphasize the good in education, one practice, method, idea, or trend at a time. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Teachers Are Leaders podcast brought to you by the Warren Instructional Network, and I'm your host, Andrea Coachman. Happy Friday. We are back for another episode, and today I'm excited to be joined by dyslexia therapist Jamie Kenny. Jamie, thank you for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I have been very stoked about this episode. Um, you know, and you and I were able to connect obviously before today, uh, through our mutual connection, Kyle Warren, and we have had quite a few conversations about, uh, you know, your work in dyslexia therapy and then our work within literacy classrooms. And we've talked a lot about making connections, but I'm very excited today for us to share with all of our listeners about those connections and what, you know, what can be done on your side and our side to kind of bridge uh, the world of the world of literacy and the world of dyslexia. So I'm very, very excited. (laughs) Good. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to share it all with you. Okay. So before we jump into the content, I wanted to spend a little bit of time just kind of talking through your background and, and how you ended up where you are. So I know that, you know, you started in a classroom, you taught taught for a couple years in a classroom and then and then what how did you end up where you are today as a dyslexia therapist um, I did teach fourth grade for a couple of years and I was really fortunate to have a principal that really understood my passion for teaching reading so through Allen ISD I was able to be trained in Linda Mood Bell which was really some of the very first dyslexia therapy that I learned and I kind of took that training and I was able to bring some of it back to the classroom. But then I was like, I care so much about differentiation. And I just was really stressed that I couldn't meet all the individual needs. And I just think my calling was more one-on-one and plus dyslexia runs in my family. My mom is dyslexic. My sister and my brother were dyslexic. So I really grew up in a house where I saw people really struggle with the learning to read process. And it Mm -hmm. just, it was so personal to me and it meant so much to me. So I, uh, in 2000 was my last year in the classroom. I only was in the classroom for two years. So 2000, I was like, just going to, before I even had kids, just going to see if I can do this. And I was just word of mouth through my students and their siblings. And I just started my own little, um, tutoring company. And then it was, I did that for several years. And I was like, okay, starting to hear so much more about dyslexia therapy. So then I was able to start a program where I, you know, through Scottish Rite and I learned take flight. So that was my first introduction to really learning the ins and outs of dyslexia therapy. I did that and it took years. It was years of work, hundreds of hours of like documented therapy. Mm -hmm. Then I went through um, the Academic Language Therapy Association took that test to become a certified academic language therapist. So, you know, as an educator, you're always learning. So of then course. I took I took that, and then I was able to transfer a lot of those credits to a master's program. So then I got a master's um, of with special education with a specialization in dyslexia. 
Oh, wow. And then on top of that, I enjoyed that so much (laughs) (laughs) that I was able to do, I can't remember how many more hours, but I was like, I really want to be a Diag because why not? not, Yeah. Why not? Why not? Because so many of my students, I'm getting all their reports and I'm working really closely with diagnosticians. That's where I get a lot of my referrals from. So I'm thoroughly reading these reports. Mm -hmm. And now since I, even though I don't practice as a diagnostician, I know every one of those assessments and tests and what they look like. And and I help the parents so much. So th- a lot of times they're in those meetings and they're just kind of shell-shocked. And oh, they sure. the, the diag is going through everything, but it's so hard for them to process it. So I'm like, okay, let's have a conversation. I'm going to take you through all of this. And now I understand it so much better. Mm-hmm. So I, I, even though I've never used that professionally as a diag, I still use it, you know, day to day. And it's really what I love about that is I have a file, you know, of all of my students and their reports. And so I am able to really see their strengths and their weaknesses. Mm. And I truly try to use their strengths to bring up their weaknesses. So when I say it's really individualized, it's really individualized. You completely tailor the work that you do with them to then support their, their learning and, and, you know, bank those, those strengths to, improve those weaknesses. That's awesome. I yeah, love that. It, I, I enjoy it. And I, like, I really do like, as we're working, like I will be taking notes while we're working so mm-hmm. that I know for next week, okay, they really struggled with this concept. We need to, you know, and that's so much with dyslexia mm-hmm. is consistent review. And even my students that I see that are in the take flight pro- program in the public schools, well, they have to move at a certain pace. And so right. if I have pretty much have the more severe ones, they need so much more repetition and so much mm-hmm. more exposure that even though they may have way past that lesson, I know that they consistently need to practice that. And I know you had mentioned at one point, like how many exposures are needed, like for a student to get it. And I can't remember that exact number, but it was like, it's a, a lot. It's a lot. So research says that a child may need between 500 to 1500 exposures wow. to say a certain sight word before it becomes automatic memory. It's wow. it's astounding. And that's why we have to practice things so different. So with my dyslexic kiddos, like we are doing stacks of sight word cards. We're reading card sight words in lists, then we're reading them in phrases, we're reading them in sentences. We're we're they're getting it from every different angle. Right. Oh, to just try to get to that point to where that sight word does become mm-hmm. automatic. That automaticity then is there. Exactly. And it's also needs to be multi-sensory, which is one thing that I've, I learned very beginning from the Linda Mood Bell, where they do a lot of like visual imagery and where we literally are picturing the word and we're doing it with colors and I have them air write it. And if say like, it's the word was, and that's a tricky kind of unfair word, you know, what's the second letter you see, what's the first letter. So we're really trying to imprint it differently Right. through their neural circuitry in their brain so that it can become more automatic for them. Ooh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's, some, that's some heavy lifting work that you do on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> it's heavy lifting for the kiddos too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and yeah. we are lucky though, in the state of Texas, I mean, dyslexia services are provided through public schools. So students who are struggling can get that support, can, you know, potentially end up working with you or someone like you to get the extra you know, work and support and structure that they need, right? Yes. In Texas, uh, I, 
as I do work with kids in other states that don't have it. So then, Mm -hmm. or, and I work with kids that are maybe in private schools or homeschooled that don't have those services. So those are the ones I need to see four days a week to really, you know, the kids that are, we're so fortunate in Texas to have dyslexia therapy because it really is. um, I think we take it for granted that it's offered in all the schools here because in, in so many other States, it's not. Yeah. Well, I love that you know, you were able to, it's obvious, you know, what your passion was and you knew that, you know, and maybe because of your family, you know, you knew Absolutely. it, you knew it before you knew it kind of, kind of one of those things. Um, but we're able to end up where you, where you are now and, you know, being able to help those kiddos that are near and dear to your heart. So I think I love, I love when people end up doing something they're passionate about, like so passionate. It brings me, it really does. Like it brings me so much purpose and joy. And I always yeah. joke, like, I'm going to be doing this when I'm 80. If I'm, <laughs> if I'm, you know, blessed enough to be able to do it, I just don't think I'll ever not want to do it. Absolutely. Maybe not as much as I'm doing it now, but I will still want to do it. <laughs> it does bring yes. me a lot of joy. Yeah. I love that. Well, we do. I have a, um, one of our teammates, Cindy, who's in West Texas. She still tutors kids. Like that's just something she's passionate about. So I love it. Yes. yes. And you can, Jamie, you can do this as long as you want. <laughs> I probably will. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So thinking back, cause you mentioned in the beginning, like when you were in the classroom, it was a, a big struggle, which, and I think all teachers would, you know, put their hand up in there and say, heck yes, to differentiate for all your kids. So talk to us a little bit about like, what, what did the classroom look like? I mean, what, what were you trying to do within that reading, you know, block for, for your kiddos kind of, what was the structure? What resources sure. did you use? Those kinds of things. So when I went to college um, and I did have a reading specialization, I never learned phonics. I, I never, it was all, you know, it was very much whole language um, that I'd learned. And, you know, I did a lot of, you know, reading workshop and I loved mm-hmm. doing that, but I still felt like I had this whole population of kiddos Um that were struggling. I was fourth grade and I taught every subject. So I just remember being so overwhelmed with literally all my, all my lesson planning. So I really didn't do a lot of, um, spelling instruction and phonics. Most of those phonics rules, I truly never learned until I went to become a dyslexia therapist and learn them. Mm -hmm. I was, it was eye opening for me because I was like, gosh, I wish I knew this. So I did a workshop, you know, we did you know, readers theater and everyone had their jobs. And I mean, Mm -hmm. and I loved it, but I still felt I struggled um, to meet the needs of all of my students. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, like I said, I think that continues to be a struggle and I don't, I don't think it necessarily matters, you know, what grade you're teaching, what what grade level it is, or, you know, what district Mm -hmm. or campus, like those teachers who truly want to meet every kid where they are and push every kid and get them to the point where they're, you know, leaving them on grade level that is hard. Like it is hard <laughs> because it say, you know, you have, say if I'm fourth grade, I could have the, I can have a K one reading ability all the way up yeah. to almost a high school. So the range is vast. Yes. And you want to meet all of their needs because mm-hmm. the gifted and those stronglers deserve every much of a challenge and, right. and learning and, and, you know, receiving what they need right. as just as much as the low kiddos. So, right. yeah, mm. well, maybe, maybe in a, our next episode together, we can tackle that. I would love to solve <laughs> <All> that problem. <laughs> okay. But before we move into 
the the big meaty part of our conversation, I do want to take a second and I want to ask you the same question that I ask everybody. Tell us about a favorite memory you have from your experiences in the education world. Okay. I will I will absolutely share my favorite memory. And it's kind of a it's one student, maybe a stretch of memories, but oh, my that. favorite memory is the last day. I always tell my students that my job is for you to not need me anymore. And that's truly my job is to give them all the skills. And so when right. we get to that point where you have learned all the skills, you I always say, I'm giving you tools in your little work belt here and you're gonna use them. So when we get to that point where we are parting, you don't need me anymore, it can be very emotional. So my last day with this precious student, Matthew, 10 years of work. So I started with Matthew when he was a first grader and we worked all the way through until right before he started his senior year of high school. And Matthew was one of those kiddos where, um, he had a, he had a lot of cards stacked against him. He, um, really like it was a village. So when we would be at his arts, it would be a village. He was, uh, in speech. Mm -hmm. He was also dysgraphic. So he had OT He was in the SPED program for learning disability. He was dyslexic and he was diagnosed autistic. So he had all of the, you know, social skills. I will say Alan ISD did a phenomenal job. Like he's truly like, it was just amazing. Every year you would see, you know, you you can literally see that graph of the, Mm -hmm. of the gap between the, 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 the kids that are behind and where they should be. And that right. gap would close every year. We'd get closer and closer and closer. And all of these special services, we would take them away, take them away. Well, by eighth grade, no more sped done. We've gone through dyslexia therapy, done with speech, done with sped. And he was truly mainstream by the time he started high school. And he was one of those that came to me twice a week for years through the summer, through spring break, through Christmas break. I mean, it was so consistent. And he's one of those kids that I just think about. And I just think grit, like I never worried about him because he never complained. He never said, I can't, there were really tough days. There were days that, you know, he knew that I always say like for the dyslexic kids, it's harder than it should be. And they are so aware of it. But when you see that grit in a child, Mm -hmm. you just, you're such a cheerleader. And I was such a cheerleader for him. So by the time we got to his last day, he brought me this beautiful framed picture of him, a first grader. And then next to it was him entering his senior year with this beautiful letter thanking me for just being on that journey with him. And I was just one part. I was just one part of the village that worked with him. But but so just thinking about this favorite memory, this really makes me emotional. I reached out to his mom and I said, I'm thinking about Matthew. How is he? So now he is a senior in college. He's graduating this month with a 3.5 from UTD with an engineering degree. And he just landed just last week, his dream job. So when I say I have goosebumps, like I do success. If you had met this child as a first grader who, you know, couldn't write. And I mean, just, oh, it's just amazing but so much of it I give to Matthew for his grit and right. his oh. just attitude of like, I'm going to get through this. And it's just, it's so rewarding. My gosh. I feel like that's like, that's like the ultimate reward. <laughs> it is the ultimate. Awesome. It is. It is. Yeah. Oh, well, and those are uh, definitely the memories that stick with you. The ones that you tell the story and 
I have uh, some tears in my eyes and goosebumps on my arms, <laughs> but those are the best and they stick with you forever. And that, and that obviously is a great testament to Matthew and, and his, you know, his parents and, and the rest of the mm-hmm. village, but also to you and the work that you did being able to help and support and close that gap year after year after year. And I, and I feel like those are the ones where, you know, when you think about you in a classroom and all of those teachers who are trying to be there for every kid and how hard that is and what the support is. And it, you know, I feel like it's that when you think, think about an image, it's like those teachers. who it's just, the pool just keeps filling up and it's like, I'm treading water. I'm treading water. I maybe have a straw. Like I am just trying to keep breathing. They are. (laughs) But so, so thinking about that and thinking about everything that, you know, talk to me about like, what does, what does that dyslexic student look like? Okay. So I, I always think, you know, knowledge is power. And I think as if teachers just kind of knew more about the dyslexic brain, um, that it just gives them more understanding of, of where their student is coming from. Mm -hmm. So really dyslexia, we always think of as, as a phonological deficit, Mm -hmm. but it's really so much more than just the phonological. It's more than just the decoding. So through MRI imaging, we have discovered that there are structural differences in the brain and there's basically reduced connectivity. So I always tell my students like, we're rewiring your brain. And they're like, we're doing what? And I'll show them brain scans. So literally from brain scans, they read from a different part of their brain. And this doesn't impact their IQ because we know it is not, you know, they are very bright, bright adults and children that are, that are dyslexic, but they use a different part of their brain to read. So when we look at skilled readers, when they're reading, they use the back left side of their brain Okay. Well, dyslexics, they read from the front part of their brain, and that's why their reading sounds more laborious. So basically, the left hemisphere of their brain that they should be using is under activated during reading, and they're using less efficient areas of their brain to read. Wow. And so this interferes with their processing speed, which is why also fluency is affected. So I definitely want to Oh. You know, also talk about that because yeah. so much of what pe- they think dyslexia therapy is, is just the phonetic part in teaching these kids to decode, right. but we can't forget fluency. So, so non, but, but this is why non-dyslexics are so fluent. So non-dyslexics have this ability beyond like, you know, when they're first learning how to read and decode, you know, if they sound out, but then they quickly and instantly recognize words. And we call that their orthographic memory. So orthographic is basically, and that's where they're reading, like that's called automaticity. So they can just read fluently like you're speaking. So orthographic, um, we call it like, we want our students to be able to do orthographic mapping, which is that they can receive the visual information from print and they recognize familiar patterns. That's why we study like, you know, we want them to know their syllable types and all of that so that they understand how words work. That's the orthographic memory. They're weak in that. So dyslexics painfully decode words they've seen over and over again. And that's why parents get frustrated. You just had that word on this page. How do you not have it? You've just read it. Well, that's, that's why they need the explicit and the systematic phonics instruction. Um, It's essential, but that's, 
but the fluency part has to do with rapid naming. So when we look at when they do um, all the diagnostic tests, there's a part on there like a rapid naming test. This is even mm -hmm. like, can you rapidly name, how many animals can you rapidly name? How many, and, and what they have found is that it's, these kids have a really hard time with rapid naming. And when we, would we see those low scores, we know it's gonna impact their fluency. And so another thing I think to truly understand and I explain to my students too, is that I always say your brains are so necessary because if we just kind of look at like the history of reading in our world history, it's relatively a new invention. I always say right. it was your brains that built those pyramids and built the bridges and they're like, oh, and I was like, it's a truly gifted brain. Mm -hmm. It is a gifted brain, but speaking so speaking usually comes pretty easy for them right. even though there is speech delay but what happens was a lot of them you know are very successful and when you talk to someone you don't always know that they're dyslexic for because sure. speaking takes place at like a pre-conscious level in our brain like it's effortless but reading takes place at a conscious level and mm -hmm. and why that is is you have to convert print to a linguistic code. Wow. And so that's why, like, they kind of say like speaking is a gift of evolution for the, of the brain, but reading, there's no module in our brain for reading. So letters have no like inherent linguistic connection and they must be converted. And that's what we've been able to see in the brain scans that dyslexics do different. So the reason I say all this, because I really think if educ if teachers kind of knew wow, like that's why these kiddos struggle so much. Like they're truly using a different part of their brain, yeah. which is why it has to be systematic and explicit instruction. So right. even what they're doing with science of reading mm -hmm. and teaching these kids phonics, it's beneficial to the dyslexic and the non-dyslexic. Right. It's truly, truly beneficial. And it's even if they have science of reading and they're in dyslexia therapy, it's such an important reinforcement mm -hmm. um, that they are learning yeah. to help them be more successful. I feel like that um, made my brain explode a little bit. <laughs> thinking about, Sorry. <laughs> no, in an, in an only amazing way. But just thinking about how hard that is and things that as a non-dyslexic, like I've just taken for granted because I just have been, you know, was able to do. And it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't an issue or a struggle. Oh. Exactly. So then thinking about those students in class, what does that look like for, you know, those, those preschoolers, those kindergartners, first graders, those young yes. learners, like what, how do you, what is that? What is a red flag? How does it look? Oh, yes. There, you can, you can notice it young. So really, I always say the first really big red flag is delayed speech because that's really okay. that same part of the brain. Mm -hmm. So if you have a speech kiddo, um, you're pretty much, it's very likely that they're also going to have a reading difference and struggle. Okay. Um, they struggle. So your, your young ones, your preschoolers, they struggle pronouncing words. Okay. Um, they struggle to recall the correct word. They get really frustrated because just pulling out that right word is really hard for them. Um, a big red flag. I always tell parents like before they go to kindergarten, if your child can't rhyme oh. and, and the reason that rhyming is so important because that's, really phonemic awareness. Can they isolate and manipulate 
that first sound, that initial sound in a word. And that's hmm. really understanding that words are made up of individual sounds and you, hmm. and that's what rhyming is. And so if they're yeah. not able to do that, that's usually a really, um, a big red flag. Um, okay. other things that you don't realize, um, that are signs are struggling with opposites, hmm. understanding the difference between up and down left and right's a big one. Um, so opposites, I always kind of look, check my preschoolers to see if they can do opposites. Um, struggling, of course, struggling to learn the alphabet, struggling to learn colors, shapes, right. how to spell their name, um, retelling a story in the right sequence. Um, and of course, you know, separating sounds. So my, I always say if the learning to read process is harder than it should be, you most mm -hmm. likely have dyslexic tendencies. And that's the thing mm. with dyslexia. There's such a spectrum. Right. And unfortunately you have to hit an arbitrary criteria to, you know, qualify for dyslexia therapy, but it is right. such a spectrum. And that's why I love all the dyslexia therapists are thrilled that science of reading is now sure. in the classrooms because right. they're getting early intervention. And some of that early intervention can kind of weed out who qualifies as long as what they're getting has caught them up, you know, mm -hmm. on level, you know, before that, so that the intervention can be smaller because dyslexia therapy isn't meant to have a, a lot of kids in there. It really right. needs to be small group instruction. So that's what it looks like in preschoolers okay. in like kindergarten through fourth grade. Then it's more the struggles, like learning the connection between letters and sounds. That's what we were talking about with like that orthographic mapping, like okay. understanding that letters and sounds, you know, in that connection, we see a lot of executive functioning mm -hmm. struggles with these kids, planning, mm -hmm. difficulty planning, impulsive, maybe slow to learn new skills, trouble remembering facts. And then of course we see reading and spelling errors. You see the right. letters, the letter reversals, the word reversal reversal saw for was I see that all oh, the time I've heard of the letter but the mm -hmm. because what they're doing is they're trying to like they're not associating the sound I'm like okay if they read saw for was I'm like what's the first letter right it's an s well you say was you started with the w so that can't mm -hmm. you know right that word so mm -hmm. um inversions I see that all the time um so like a U for an N that's really hard. Um, we see, Oh, like when they're reading, they'll, they'll say, say like the word is felt mm -hmm. F E L T. Mm -hmm. Well, they'll say, they'll say if the word is left L E F T, they could say felt because they're transposing letters to letters. Okay. And so that's where we really, really want them to work on. You know, when you say felt, that starts with the, f and we kind of feel it. Well, mm -hmm. the word was left. So what's the first thing your mouth should do is the whole. Yeah. And then of course, Ooh. substitution. So they'll put in, if the word is home, but they read house, they're, right. they're using other skills to read. So those are all things that we see. Um, mm -hmm. Often, you know, dysgraphia comes with it. So awkward pencil grip, you know, mm -hmm. fine, um, poor fine motor coordination, trouble telling time, things like that, um, we can definitely see with, with the elementary schools, um, yeah. or spelling. 
Right. And they skip a lot of words. Like when they're okay. reading, they'll skip words or they'll, you know, like we talked about, they'll read of for four or were mm-hmm. for where, and they avoid reading. These are the kiddos that their little spirit breaks when oh. you want them to read. Right. And writing, oh gosh, writing, I always, it's the last <laughs> thing that comes together. It is so hard for Oof. these kiddos, but that's wow. really what it, a lot of them, what it looks like. Yeah. Well, I think that's very interesting. It also, I mean, I feel like I do this with all of these episodes, but I'm like, I start thinking about my own kids. Like, of course you do. <laughs> what are the things that I can do to check on this stuff? But, but I think that can be very useful. And when I think about, you know, an elementary classroom and what that looks like, I think it just, you know, reiterates how important that small group instruction is because that's where you're really able to, as a teacher, have those, you know, small group, potentially even one-on-one or two on, you know, two-on-one mm-hmm. with the teacher and can kind of figure some of those things out for those kiddos and then, you know, work to get them what they need, whether it's in your classroom or through services, if, if they need more than that. Exactly. Yes. That small group because then you could really, you know, the kids that need, you know, more of that explicit um, and systematic right. instruction where we're just slowly building on one skill. And then with the repeated kind of, I say like the spiral review, we have to, mm-hmm. you know, we can't like teach it and say, check that off. We've got that. No. <laughs> Doesn't work like that with these right. kiddos. No. So, and I know it does create a lot of extra work for the, for the teachers to kind of monitor that and go back and make sure that they have those skills. Right. Which, and that's, I always say, I'm like, golly, people, when I'm like, I taught high school, people are like, oh my gosh, I could never do that. I'm like, what? My job was easy compared to what these elementary teachers do. I like agree. teaching, teaching kids how to read and how to write is like, I mean, it is the ultimate thing. Like skill, it is. you know, being it able is. to be literate in reading and writing. Mm-hmm. And so to have those teachers, them have the skills to do that again. My mind just continues to be. Well, I know they always say the lower you go, the harder it is. And yes. I totally get that. Yes. Bless teachers. It's hard. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So knowing what we know, then if I have these, you know, red flags that I can look for things that I can, you know, keep track of during my small group and all of that, what are like, what can teachers then do with that? Like, what are some, um, you know, maybe resources or, or things, yes. things that they need to keep in mind when going through their classroom, their day-to-day so work. So this is, that, that leads open to like a great, like the, the controversy on leveled readers and decodable readers. Absolutely. So I definitely want to address that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think decodable readers were ever meant to, for only decodable readers. I think they are an absolute great resource to have. Sure. And I've kind of heard it described as like pretend it's a prescription and it's okay. a prescription that you need to use when needed um, to practice certain skills. So I will give an example of mm. when I'm grateful to have decodable readers and when I use them. So yeah. if I see, and I'm monitoring my students very carefully. So for example, I use it a lot with very difficult vowel sounds. Okay. I use decodable readers. So one of the toughest ones I've seen for my dyslexic students is when they get to a lesson where it's called digraph AU and AW that's a aw. So like think of the word like in launch or in saw. That is a okay. very difficult vowel sound. They often look at AU and they want to say ow. So oh, yeah. when I know that they have covered that 
in dyslexia therapy, or I've done it with them, I will pull a lot of decodable readers so that they are really heavy, heavy focus on that skill because they need so many repetitions. They need to see that. So I will, I will pull decodable readers when I know that it is a tough skill or they just need a lot of exposure to it. So if we're okay. practicing on, you know, when to use digraph CK or, you know, just mm-hmm. certain skills, that's when I do it. But I also love to do leveled readers mm-hmm. and I love, I have a lot of, so I, I don't think it's, there's no cookie cutter kid. And, but right. I, I don't, I don't think you have to use only decodables, but it, I don't think you should, I, I think all their shelves of leveled readers are great. I think mm-hmm. they need exposure to richer language and, and especially dyslexics. I'm a huge fan of audiobooks because then uh, they feel so confident. They're reading on level books with their classmates and they can yeah. have those discussions. And then they, they're learning vocabulary and exposure to rich language and they're developing all the critical thinking skills and the inferencing skills mm-hmm. that go along with harder language rather than such like a, you know, decodable readers are great, but I don't think they're like the best for like comprehension. It's more, you right. know, decoding, right? Yeah. So we, yes. we want, we want, I always tell my students reading is thinking, it's thinking. Mm-hmm. And so as you're reading, I want you questioning, I want you thinking, I want oh, you yeah. wanting to know more. So there's so much we kind of have to monitor with their comprehension. And I think that's harder when you're just doing decodable readers. So I, I think sure. it's very balanced. And I think science of reading opens that up, but I think it's just, it's balanced literacy is really what we want. And I think we right. kind of have to think about balanced literacy, different decodable readers, leveled readers, rich, you know, read to them, rich language and vocabulary. When you were talking about um, it, like decodables being like a prescription, it made me think of my vitamin container because it's like, I'm taking certain vitamins every morning. My husband takes different vitamins because we need different things. And so, you know, the idea of if I were to take my husband's vitamins or he were to take mine, like it wouldn't serve our bodies in the same way. And so to think through a classroom and the resources in a classroom in that manner, it kind I mean, for me, it kind of was like that light bulb yeah. turned on. I love you know? that analogy. That's a great analogy. Exactly. Well, you started it with the prescription. <laughs> But I think that, you know, for being able to have so many resources at our fingertips, having leveled readers and having decodables, in addition to, you know, our whole group grade level, you know, mentor text that we're using, that really is, you know, the the ultimate literacy classroom is to be able to share and show everything that students need in order to develop that rich reading and exactly exactly and and some of the programs that I would recommend that you could easily use in a classroom for classroom Mm -hmm. teachers what the fluency one there's so many but the one that my students really like Mm -hmm. that the stories are super interesting like we're usually looking things up on the internet after we read the stories is read naturally and okay. I love read naturally and there is, and they graph it so they can see where they started on their cold reading after we do, you know, a lot of practice readings and, and then they, you see the graph of where they ended and they're always thrilled with their progress. So that's a great one to practice reading fluency. And there is some comprehension in there, but 
a, a big resource that I've been using a lot recently. And I think some of us dyslexia therapists are like, oh my goodness, this is everything we worked years for that's just been presented to everyone. Like, oh, is nice. this fair? <laughs> is through the University of Florida um, Literacy Institute. Okay. So it's called U, like U, the letter U F L I. Okay. Um, they have this toolbox where they have these beautiful lessons um, to really, that goes into very structured literacy. So starting Mm. with sounds and building, building, and they have decodables, they have um, spelling rules, uh, they have, so it's, that you just have to buy their, their manual, which really wasn't, and, but just, I supplement with that a lot. And then they Mm -hmm. have this blending board where I can, so say like, I know a child has worked on, you know, some tougher concepts. Like I always, I always say like those vowels are hard. Like say like it's Mm -hmm. AI saying a, well, then they have this blending board where I can change like the initial sound or the final sound. And I could just do that repeated exposure over and over again to you know, whatever I want to focus and concentrate on. So I definitely recommend teachers to check out UFLY Toolbox and their blending board. It's all through University of Florida. It's all very research-based, but I will tell you, there's been a little bit of pang in our heart to know like that everything (laughs) that we had to study for years is just beautiful. And and they are giving them to you in Google Slides and PowerPoints. It's amazing. It's amazing. So that's just, I wanted to make sure that I made that t- educators know that that's a wonderful yeah. resource to supplement with your lower kiddos that just need more exposure, more repetition, mm-hmm. a different way to get yeah. those no, coding that, concepts. That is awesome. And I will, um, I'll put both of those and I'll put like links in yeah. the, in the episode notes. So then people can just click and find it. And that is awesome. I mean, it sounds like you know, you had mentioned with Matthew and and with, you know, the students you work with, like your job and what you're focusing on is giving them the tools that they need in their toolbox so they can leave you and not need you anymore. But I I feel like that translates to, you know, to what we're hoping to do with teachers is to give them all of the tools that they need to support all of their students in the best, most efficient way possible without feeling like they're having to hold a straw in their mouth above water. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it is a lot of tools and, and it's, and it's really, it's about 20% of your kiddos pretty much statistically is those who kind of fall in the dyslexia range. Not all of them are mm. going to be diagnosed, but it's really right. one in five. So it's, it's a big portion of your, of your classroom. That's going to yeah. need this more um, explicit and systematic instruction. So right. they are definitely going to help a large population of students. Yeah. You know, I, well, I like to end kind of wrap up when we have these conversations with like actionable items, because that is my favorite space to live in is the concrete. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I feel like, you know, what I heard you say, you know, when we're talking about what to look for in those, you know, younger elementary students, cool. I know that I know what I'm looking for. There are simple things that I can do, you know, mm-hmm. even just like I said, thinking about my son, like okay, rhyming, let's talk about opposites. You know, what are these, can you do this or not? Um, mm-hmm. Kind of having that information ahead of time, but then using those things that we know, the decodable readers for specific things, the leveled readers for specific things, mm-hmm. continuing what we're doing 
you know, in a balanced literacy class where I am incorporating reading and writing and phonics, but structuring it in a way that I can prescribe for each student what they need. You've got it. That's, that's exactly what, what we want for the kids. So when I, when I see that phonics is back in the classroom Mm -hmm. and also I'll hit really quick, some of the writing instruction, like finally they are learning parts of speech again. And there is, (laughs) that is wonderful because they're really learning sentence structure and they'll come to me because I always do different types of sentences. And they're like, we worked on compound sentences and complex and it is, I've never, it's only recently in all the years I've been doing this, that they're coming to me from the classroom. So teachers, y'all are doing an amazing (laughs) job because they're coming to me doing this in the classroom. And I really, really think we're going, the research, it's going to show that numbers are going to improve. I think there's going to be an improvement with their their writing skills and with their reading skills. I love that. Well, obviously- I feel like at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. And it is that we want our students to leave our classrooms feeling successful and empowered and confident in their reading and writing abilities. Absolutely. Awesome. Oh, well, gosh, seriously, I cannot thank you enough for your time and for sharing all of the information with me and, you know, being willing to come on and just talk about your world and what you see and, you know, what, what can be done to help support all students. So thank thank you. you. It's truly my pleasure and my, my joy and my life's work. So I'm happy to share it. Thank you so much. And I feel like this will not be our last conversation. (laughs) I'm excited. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of Teachers Are Leaders. Feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. We are, you know, wherever you find your podcast. And if you're looking for us outside of the podcast world, we are on Twitter at WarrenINPD. And our website is WarrenINPD.com. Hope to see you soon. Thanks.